So that's what I'm saying. The text is like an object. It's gonna change perspective based on where you're standing. I don't know. Hello? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? I missed you, baby sweet. It was a day. Hmm? It was a day. Please tell me you're seeing this too. From Seattle, we are drinking the movies. I'm Taylor Baker. And I'm Michael Clausen. Oh, hey, Michael. How you doing today, Taylor? Oh, it's a good day. Already got an episode in, and now we're on number two. Also number two of beer. Double episode days are good days. They are. Should we just jump right into first impressions, since they'll already know how we feel about this beer from last episode? Let's do it. What are we seeing for the first time today? We're going to do Triple Frontier, and then we're going to do Mads Mikkelsen's uh, solo fic... Uh, I think it's a solo picture, Arctic. So let's get to J.C. Chandor's Triple Frontier. Let's do it. We need to hunt quickly. Is your money that good? You cannot say they will find us. It's always a little harder than you think it's going to be. We don't need matches like that. This is not what I signed up for. A lot of people are going to come after you. So we go through. We just watched the trailer for J.C. Shandor's Triple Frontier. Any thoughts? I'm smiling a lot. This looks pretty dope. To put it mildly, it looks dope. Yeah. Yeah. You've noticed, I only pull out the word dope on a few occasions. Yeah. This is a very dope looking title. You don't throw dope around. I do not. Um, I love The Most Violent Year, and I've been waiting for J.C. Shandor to follow that up for quite some time. Um, and I, as much as I have been railing against Oscar Isaac, this doesn't look like a role that he can really fuck up mm, with I where he's agree. at. Um, and it just, the whole thing looks so well seamed together and so well visualized. Uh, I, I'm just excited and filled with anticipation about this title. I can't even explain it. I'm so excited about it. I'm right there with you. <laughs> Looks great. It looks a little kind of Michael Mann-ish to me. Mm-hmm. That kind of technical virtuosity. Um, great ensemble. Yeah, well, he, um, he expressed that technical virtuosity even in a Most Violent Year. That it oh, had totally. a lot of technical timing elements to it. I, if I remember correctly, like the bridge chase and scene oh, yeah. and stuff. Um, with uh, how Chastain is interacting with Oscar Isaac. Yeah. So. Yeah, I remember. I love that movie. I remember people saying... For a movie called A Most Violent Year, most of the violence is off screen. Um, yeah. There are some great chases and that kind of thing. I think most of the violence is going to be front and center here, mm-hmm. and I'm ready for it. I, that's what I liked in the trailer. Like They didn't really show us any violence until they started showing names near the yeah. very end of the trailer. Yeah. And even then, they were barely showing violence, but this whole time they've got guns and they're strapped mm-hmm. up, and Ben Affleck seems to be um, working for a living again, which is a nice touch. Yeah. You know? It's been a little while. Um, um, Garrett Hedlund's making a nice little appearance here. Um, yep. He was very, very good and something that barely anyone saw this year called Mosaic from Steven mm, Soderbergh. There you go. I'm sure you've never heard of it. Never. <laughs> Did you like it? Uh, it might be my favorite thing of the year. There you go. Pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I saw at the very end there that the story is by Mark Bull, who worked with Catherine Bigelow on like Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Ooh, Locker. That's good news. That's great news. He's he great must collaborator. be uh, qualified 
for some of this military logistics stuff. Totally. Which yeah. is basically the crux of this. Yeah it's, yeah, it's very much like a military Michael Mann. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have very few reservations about this, which means I need to temper my expectations. No, so I'm that still I'm not kind of in like emotional shock about how <laughs> excited I am. Like, I don't even know how to express. Like, I couldn't even tell the listener what I just saw in the trailer. I just like, yay! Yeah, um, yeah. Comes out I mean, in March uh, on Netflix and in select theaters. I know that. Definitely want to see it in theaters. Um, yeah, it'll make me want to kind of reflect back on his other movies. Um, I liked Margin Call. Did you ever see that? I uh, never did see that. I meant to. Mm, I, I didn't yeah. realize that was his film. That had like nine, twelve different major actors in it, didn't it? I can't remember if it was that many or not. It was the um, economic crisis film, the Wall Street one. With, like, yeah, I, I Kevin remember Spacey like in it, I believe. a bunch of actors standing in front of like a a skyscraper window. on the cover yeah got it yeah. yeah i think that is the poster art yeah um yeah something about like um professionals like men at work or something like that um i think about that with with, with margin call oscar isaac in a, in a most violent year i don't know it'll be interesting to try to trace to see what what his uh he's doing with his body of work because mm-hmm. he isn't one that i've really thought of in those terms i just know that each movie i've watched i think is great but mm-hmm. I haven't thought about in totality yet. So yeah. and that'll it's be fun. Good on them for getting Pedro Pascal back in a Netflix original release and kind of tying this in between seasons of Narcos filming. It's uh, I think Great. it's a very good choice for them to got him locked in. Up. Yeah, he's not going anywhere apparently. <laughs> I'm, I'm very yeah. This is a, an exciting time to see the collaborations between Netflix and visionary directors. Even, even yeah. though we maybe haven't liked all of them. Um, I, I've disliked ones that you've liked. You've disliked ones that I loved. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's a good time for for this stuff where two people can differ on what's good. Um, yeah. Get, getting made. Totally. It's, it's nice. I'm pumped. Let's uh, hop over to the Arctic with Mads. Let's do it. is going to be one of the hardest trailers I get an audio snippet for of the <laughs> year. Um, that's the trailer, teaser trailer for Arctic with Mads Mikkelsen. What do you think? Yeah, that you do not have a lot of sound to work with. And some shoveling, mm. perhaps some poking of People ice. People are going to have to listen really carefully and really use the imagination to mm. bring something to mind. Um, but I am still intrigued. This is a quite minimalistic trailer. Kind of a... Uh, one actor and one actor only kind of movie, perhaps, mm-hmm. is what I'm gathering. Reminds um, me of Buried or uh, Wheelman. Yeah, it's ironic that we just talked about J.C. Shandor because All is Lost was the one movie we didn't name oh, yeah. of his. Oh, yes. Another one. My uh, favorite Robert Redford film. There you go. Um, I think if anybody can do it, Mads Mikkelsen can do it. So I'm I happy do to... do, too, because you haven't seen Valhalla Rising before, but he has proven not... that he can do a minimalist performance movie. Yeah, uh, we might not even 
see much of his like body if he's covered up for out throughout a lot of this movie um he's gonna have to do a lot with his eyes i mean i think it is going to be a challenging performance if nothing else yeah there's not gonna be fires oh that just kind of came to me so it it will be an eye driven performance this is gonna be um interesting i don't know if it's like the arctic in the north or if it's the antarctic Mm. in the south yeah um all we know is that he has a plane that no longer appears to fly him away from where he is and that he has a giant sos sign dug in the snow down to the rock yeah and that is all we know also he has a watch and he has a coat that says overguard yep so if you had to if you had the option to watch it tomorrow would you go for it yes there you go yeah i'm I'm, done i'm a big mads fan and i'm wondering if now i change your christmas present based on the fact Mm. that i can get you to watch valhalla rising when we watch this title if we get to Ah. watch it like in the summer like if we're lucky it'll come out in the summer at the grand illusion yeah and we can pair it with some other titles uh, about this and then um you know then i can give you maybe any given sunday Mads Mickelson Marathon. Ooh, there you I'd, go. I'd like to get Mads with it. <laughs> Let's, uh, I guess, navigate on. Shoot to maybe one of my favorite movies of the year. Roma. Roma ma. Let's do it. We didn't see it together, but we both saw it in the theater. Glad mm-hmm. you did. Ecstatic I saw it in the theater. Me too. It's um it's a real bummer that this didn't get a wide release. And no. it's it's a bummer that you can't manufacture that experience mm-hmm. out of the theater. Like it, it's just it's such a big movie, even though it's a little movie. It, it it's like Children of Men where you can still see it at home, but you're missing that thing. Oh yeah, you you can see mm. gravity at home, but you're missing that thing. It it's like that. It, it Quaron's got this weird stylism to him where his his pictures are so cinematic that out of a cinema you're mm. you're losing a context. Yeah, yeah. Children of Men and Gravity are both ones that like I'll be curious about and think about rewatching, and then just not want to because I feel like it's not the same after seeing it on the big screen. Like mm. if I have to watch it, I don't. Want, I definitely don't want to watch it at home on a at two p.m. You know. There is something about the scale that uh, that demands a large format. Yeah, but I, I don't know. With Children of Men, I just always want to rewatch that movie. That, I ah, think that's like my no number, matter what my number yeah. two movie of the two thousands decade. I, yeah. I know that it's not nearly as uh, appreciated by you, but I like it. It's a good movie. You do like it? Yeah, yeah, I okay. do. Yeah, it's I, definitely I got not the like sense a two. That you didn't um, like it last time we talked because I, I was talking about maybe revisiting children of men before we had this discussion only relatively speaking like it's not like a two but it's maybe more like a you know three and a half or four and not a five you know ah definitely not one i actively dislike but um i should clarify gravity i did see on the big screen children of men i did not i don't know that i've ever had a great children of men viewing experience which i think has probably been pretty detrimental to my affection for that movie um, that is sometimes just a part of the process, for me at least. Um, but 
Regardless, we're talking yeah. about a movie called Roma. Correct. Not all these other movies he also made. Quaron. Um, yeah. Main character, Cleo. I don't remember her entire full name. Do you? Actress? No. Oh. It's it's a very extended name within the context. Cleo is all I remember. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a name that I'm not suited to remember. Or pronounce, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, it's beautiful, though. Yeah. Um, we open up on a beautiful tile reflection of the sky and mm. we slowly see uh, swirls of water coming in mm. and, and being poured upon the the um, brick tiled pavement mm. and uh, eventually an airplane looms over um, mm-hmm. signaling this um, you know technology and, and the fact that metal can fly and, mm. and all these um it, it, it conveys a lot as mm. the film goes on. This airplane does. Yeah. And then, as the picture proceeds, we find out that this beautiful image is merely her cleaning up dog shit. In the driveway. Because the man of the house is always complaining about the mess of the dog shit. Just another chore. Even though she's always cleaning it up. <laughs> He's still bitter about it. That dog can really take a lot of shits. He can. He can <laughs> drop a deuce like no other dog. <laughs> I mean, bravo. And in a day, it seems like there were 18 <laughs> shits, I swear. <laughs> only you can only She's like, the fuck, dog? <laughs> You're killing me. <laughs> She's so sweet. It's such an authentic film. Um, yeah, I guess. Uh, do you have anything you want to open up with, or do you want to go scene by scene? Uh, I, I would completely agree, uh, with, uh, the word authentic, um, and just plain beautiful. I think it's just, uh, a beautiful film to look at with black and white, I think looks great. Um, I believe I heard it was a specific monochromatic lens that he Mm. uh, used Mm. or effect that he used on his digital photography. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, the reflections off water in like that opening shot versus the you know ocean at the end it looks as good as the um, scenes at night. Um, you know, I think the black and white is 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 great. Um, you talked about uh, the camera pans in your review, right? You're a big fan of best pan shots <laughs> of the year. Yeah, they're pretty great. To quote uh, James Franco and Stephen Root. Ah, there you go. Connections. Do we do we look for parallels? Um, I think that's all I got. Hmm. Let's see. <laughs> no, there's there's lots of parallels. The bad water, mm-hmm. the um, death, the True. pain, the suffering. <laughs> Broad strokes. True. <laughs> Getting um. naked and practicing a martial art. Oh wait, no, mm. that wasn't in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, was it? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I would... I, I think uh, we had kind of a, a big differing opinion on how good this movie is. I gave it a mm. five and a heart, and you only gave it a four and a half and a heart. Um, yeah. So, um, so huge gulf here. I know. <laughs> An unbreachable gulf. Well, I guess, I mean, I have to be honest with myself and say that if I if I had to move it one way or the other, I might move it to a four. Then really? I do think so, yeah. Um, um, why, why don't I you talk about what that, that is? Yeah. That, that would make you do that. 
I think I think there were two things that I that I kind of honed in on that I really didn't want to feel, but I feel like I just have to say that I think I would feel phony if I gave it the five because I think there were just a couple things that kind of took me out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, one scene was uh, uh, just before Cleo goes into labor, mm-hmm. and she's shopping for the crib uh, mm-hmm. with the grandma, I think, um, and that's when I think the boyfriend's name is Fermin. I might be getting her. It doesn't matter. Names the, mixed up. The, the boyfriend. The boyfriend during yeah. the giant student riots that actually happened in Mexico. Yeah. On that exact yeah. street. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I. I mean the 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 happening of coincidence in movies is something that that I just never respond to very well. Mm. Um, it just. I don't know. I mean, to me. So question, because coin- I, I already understand what you're talking about. Would it? Would a different man pointing that gun at her have worked better for you and not drawn this problem okay yeah so just narrative coincidence which is how writers have to write because they introduce characters and then they find out what to do with them they don't have to do that well i sure they don't have to but um that that is the pattern you you know a, a writer will introduce a character into a story without any clue of what that character will go on to do Mm -hmm. um and, and I, I think that might be the case there. I cannot disagree more. What do you mean he has to be there? That makes no sense to me. But, um, so when, a, when an author or, or a writer is creating, um, they, they might just start uh, manufacturing characters w- without yeah. any clue of what they do yet. Yeah, yeah. And then um, eventually they find out where they fit in perfectly like a key. Mm. And for me, yeah. that that scene with that Got character it. fit perfectly like a key to unlock mm. this objective of having this this problem with the birth. Mm. And for you, it, it doesn't work that way. But but that mm. is just a you know th- there are certain tendencies that all authors have. Like mm. in a Neil Gaiman book, as soon as he introduces some old person that seems to have nothing to do with the story, you know that they're going to have everything to do with the story. You know, there's there's just mm. ticks that writers have and i i mean you can criticize it or say that it's a problem or whatever but it's just mm. kind of a stylistic tendency that always tends to happen with writing mm. yeah there might yeah. be a director's yeah. job to not do that but the thing with alfonso is he writes and directs so yeah. you're gonna run into these authorial problems within mm. his pictures and that might yeah. be one of your problems with him yeah um i mean i guess it was just in the context of how sort of natural and everyday and sort of mundane everything else felt that this it did just feel like such a strikingly isolated coincidence in the context of um the the naturalness with which everything else unfolded um did the movie theater do the other one for you what do you mean the other coincidence at the movie theater when the father with the mistress comes running out of the theater in front of the sun as cleo runs up to the sun Oh, oh, did, um... Was that the other problem? Um, oh, no, 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 that was, that wasn't the other one that I was, uh, speaking of. Yeah, interesting, you're right, that is also a coincidence, you're right. That one didn't, I don't know that I have a, uh, a good explanation for it. That one didn't strike me as quite so, um, obvious in a way. Um, that I thought was actually more interesting. Um, the other one was maybe just the withholding of more joy in um his telling of cleo's story um and this is you know a reservation i have that 
I have despite really liking the movie overall, but I do think it is um, extremely compassionate and very empathetic at the same time that I feel like it is um, just just pretty withholding of moments of um, great happiness in her life. Um, yeah. Do you think that there were more moments of great happiness that we didn't get to see? Um, the film didn't show it to me. That I think that's kind of what matters. Um, no, I mean, like, not just her, but, like, a person like her. Mm. What moments of joy, great joy and happiness are you talking about? Um, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know that, like, I, I, I don't know what it didn't show me. I guess that's that's a fair question. Yeah, but but um, we're talking about like a servant mm, who yeah. lives on the property of someone else at their mm. behest and works every day at their behest. Yeah. Um, yeah. She she's at their mercy. Mm. Uh, has maybe two days off a week, maybe a day and a half. It's kind of hard to tell. Mm. Um, does not have a car. Um, hadn't lost her virginity until she got pregnant. Mm. Um, I'm just confused as to what other joys you're thinking she could find than the moments of happiness she Mm. finds with the family um, and with with that boy that she loses her virginity to and her friend um, at the movies or or eating. I guess I'm thinking about it in comparison to something like the Florida Project that I think um, is unsparingly honest in how it recognizes the hardship that um, it's two main characters um, okay. endure and nonetheless manages to also show the world through their eyes and allows us to experience the little moments of joy that they do feel. I think it's Absolutely. I think Roma's more unsparing in its depiction of her hardship and like I that is that's what I love about it. At the same time that I wish it had maybe given me just like a, a smidgen more of what joy felt like to her, um, that might have brought me even closer to her. Um, I I I don't know that we necessarily disagree as much as mm. like my argument would would make us disagree, but like comparing it to the Florida Project is like comparing Hannibal Lecter to like superman to me Hmm. like you're comparing someone that has zero responsibility that's Hmm. just hustling and trying to keep herself in the flush and not get kicked out of a hotel Hmm. with someone who's like morally upstanding works really Hmm. hard is a genuinely good person and a lovely person and has like deep roots of loveliness to every person she comes across like they're just so totally different characters to me they're drawing a comparison about someone who spends all their time trying to find joy and someone who Mm. spends all their time trying to be of worth like Mm. i i don't necessarily agree with the compare i i understand what Mm. you're saying but i I don't agree that i i don't think that's a fair comparison to make i guess is what i'm saying because Mm. one one character's objective in the florida project specifically that mother is Mm. like to heist basically as much money Mm. as she can to uh live indulgently Mm. and it seems like cleo's role is to live as honorable and fastidiously um good a life as she possibly could Mm. i would i would maybe 
I, I think the worldview we get in the Florida project, the Florida project is more from the perspective of Mooney, the little girl. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're different movies in obvious ways, but I think the, the filmmaking intent is to, to kind of spotlight somebody's story that the directors find, um, uh, frustrating or sad. Um, and I think there is something to a filmmaker's ability to grant them some, some moments of, some moments of happiness and joy that I, I just feel like he was maybe, um, not so generous with in Roma. He wasn't, um, and, and you have to ask whether or not that's because of the actual maid that he's basing the film on in honor of. Um, who yeah. we see his name at the end in Loving Memory of, right? yeah. or in Remembrance of. Um, yeah. b- because, you know, a little boy might not see those moments of joy that she had. But I, I yeah. mean, I, I didn't get the sense that her whole life wasn't filled with these small moments, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. holding the dog, sometimes she's smiling, watching yeah. uh, him try to drive the car in, she's smiling. Um, at the end of the day, touching her toes, she's smiling. When she comes in after uh, turning off the lights and, and uh, is asked why it took so long, uh, because he turned on the little boy turned on all the lights, she's smiling. Um, yeah. She's she's held by this idea, what I think is the embodiment of one of Alfonso Cuarón's um, yeah. moments of childhood, wh- where she's watching TV with them on the cushion and is embraced. Oh yeah, yeah. The little boy, like there are these moments that um, I, I will say that because it's so powerful and is used so sparingly i i understand what you mean with mm. that smile that happens mm. after she loses her virginity and she and he's mm. practicing that naked kung fu great because moment. cleo's smile is so powerful and so mm. deeply moving yeah and you want her to have a better time but i i almost wonder if that's just an effect of like is it possible that you came to love her so much through the film that you just wish for her more happiness or is that uh, truly a film well property? i definitely want that i definitely yeah. wish i mean it's because like with, with me the that. killing of a sacred deer is like so deeply affecting in a negative way that i hate it but that's a positive reflection of what it accomplished yeah so i'm um, asking if it's like a positive reflection of what it accomplished perhaps even though you didn't <laughs> respond to it yeah i mean i i definitely think it succeeds in making you wish she was more fulfilled or um, uh, more ex- more excited and ready and, and feeling prepared to have a baby, right? I mean, all that's incredibly involving. And um, I don't know that any of this is, um, you know, a hill I'm willing to die on, as I've used that phrase before. It's just something that, like, I did just have this instinctive reaction to when I saw it for the first time. And it might mm-hmm. go away on a second viewing when those small moments... Uh, where the kid, you know, puts her arm around her. Like you said, I mean, those are everything to this movie. Um, that might be enough. Um, but I, at the same time, you know, I just, I had to like, just kind of get that off my chest mm-hmm. about what I think was holding me back from just wholeheartedly loving it. Um, while I did love it, I think like, this is just what I think was maybe me holding me back a little bit. Um, but I think you're, totally right about those moments having um a tremendous impact especially relative to like how every day they feel 
um, whether it's, you know, that kid putting his arm around her or her saying just good morning, you mm-hmm. know, as she wakes him up. Oh, great scenes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I also think there's something interesting about the um, the guilt that is mm. experienced in the Catholic Mexican community, specifically mm. the indigenous Me- Mexican community where um, they are more prone to guilt and more prone to needless guilt. So maybe um, once, I, I believe once she lost her virginity, she's she kind of becomes that sort of not exactly positive person, especially after she's mm. left the movie theater with the jacket. Mm. Um, so I, I think that maybe there is something there to pick up on, but I, I just, um, I love Cuaron's films and, mm. and I just can't map on to the negative interpretation, but I, mm. I think I can understand how you'd find it. I just, I can't find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I did love how it depicted uh, the boyfriend. Um, actually, it's not really her boyfriend, but the Fermin who impregnates her. Yeah, the baby <laughs> daddy. Um, and the the martial arts hobby. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it doesn't, like, belittle him so much that, like, he doesn't look like he knows what he's doing. Like, he looks like he yeah, knows his martial it, it arts. It turns him into kind of a, a toxic asshole. Is what yeah. It um, like, he's intimidating as he whips his little uh stick around but he's also naked and looks ridiculous mm-hmm. at the same time and i think that's like a, a really sweet way to give her the upper hand there uh, she lays in bed and is sort of like, like laughing at him to herself and that's a moment we share with her sort of at his expense that mm-hmm. i think is like a terrific gesture for her um and then the same thing when we go and see him at the like uh, camp where he's training with a bunch of other people. And, and that luchador guy shows up. Yeah, despite all the talent we've seen him and the intensity we've seen from him, um, a simple thing like balance she has, he doesn't. Another way of, I felt like, um, us showing what she's just instinctively capable of. And wax this, on, wax uh, off, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love those moments. Um. Uh, for sure, and I mean, on the whole, I think I I am still overwhelmingly positive on the movie as a whole. It, it has um. As I'm remembering, it has tons of tragic moments. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. Where at first you just kind of think about the the loss of the child. Yeah. And you think about the catharsis found in the waves. Mm. but there's the husband leaving mm. there's the boy f- f- seeing him at the theater there's the um, the phone call of the mother that is overheard as the boy doesn't listen to Cleo and sits outside the door Yeah, there is the um, shattering New Year's Eve moment where she goes to Cheers and gets that cup knocked Ugh, out and yeah. that just mm. took the wind out of me yeah. Immediately after that, there's the forest fire. Yeah. Right. There's um, and there's the um, the slow deluge of of loss of sobriety for the mother as she drives that car. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a and then there, I mean, there's the the student um, yeah. riots where yeah. she gets the gun pointed at her. Like, there's just so much. There's the earthquake. Like there's yeah. just so much tragedy in her life that um 
when you ask why there's not joy, I th- I think that I'm not remembering to, that that's why I think there's mm. not joy. Um, mm. Not that you're wrong. It's just I think that's why there's not joy because there's all mm. that goddamn suffering yeah. and tragedy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and it's all real. It's all happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe maybe I just have to accept it as a movie about tragedy. Um, I guess I just saw these flickers of hope and wish it had just leaned into that a, a bit more from time to time the the guy next to me at the end said you know god that was depressing and i was <laughs> like yeah I, I don't know that that was the reaction <laughs> i was hoping for i don't know that really? i felt that um and you know i do think it, it evokes deep empathy um it definitely but does i think I there is a difference depressing. between a movie that that's I mean, I was I was surprised that he said that actually, um, but I, I do too. think there is okay. You, like, it makes me wonder, like, why why did he say that? And and could this have somehow had moments of levity that would have made him instead say, "Wow, that was beautiful," not "Wow, that was depressing." Um, I think I, I did I mean, find some, it beautiful. I'm not saying I didn't find it. Just don't like that stuff, you know. Like, this is a totally. movie that I can't recommend to my dad. Yeah, I can see ways that my mom could appreciate this, but I doubt it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's that type of a movie where it's it's not meant to be ha- it's you know, we we have this pretentious term like Oscar contender where mm. there's like five movies a year that are allowed to be serious and everything else needs yeah. to be a comedy or an action movie in order for people to go see it for some reason. You know, like who would have seen Moonlight if it wasn't an Oscar contender? Mm. Who would have seen Birdman if it wasn't an Oscar contender? Yeah, you know it, it, and this is, um, you know, vying for one of those respectable positions where people should go see it because it's not a happy movie and it's an Oscar contender. Yeah, but I, I would say that it's it's an authentic movie to a, a real experience that, um, a boy is reflecting on about someone who really loved him. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think that the moments of honesty found at the end of it when she says she didn't want to have the baby yeah and the way that she is under it i interpreted that the mother understood what she meant mm. and that the children were loving her um as much as they could just because they loved her yeah like like that is just so touching and deep in the way that that moonlight ending on the beach is so mm. touching and deep to me that it's mm. i think it's just transformative cinema that takes me outside of my head and exposes me to the emotions the real emotions and the real experiences of someone else yeah yeah uh, in a non-disparaging way yeah yeah the ending it's not the end but the near ending scene of on the beach is uh incredible i mean to me that is sort of the divining image of the film right what's the one that also is on the cover right at least a few covers i don't really know how the digital era works with covers yeah exactly Netflix releases yeah i mean i guess they'll just change it when they want to (laughs) please don't it's great um to me you know that feels like something like a monument like like something that is just built in stone yeah. intended to last can't like, you see that as a statue like those waves oh and, yeah on the absolutely beach, like as yeah. they're holding each other yeah um you know i think this this movie lacks like spontaneity in a way that's like very purposeful because it feels very much like something carved in her memory mm-hmm. um and and meant in in her honor 
um, and and it's built to to last. I think the black and white contributes to that, right? You know, color can kind of fade. It, this doesn't feel like something that's going to fade in any way. It feels like it is it is there forever. And, and it, it's one of the most um, exciting uses of digital cinema this year. You know, like mm. I know a yeah. lot of people didn't like Solo, but I thought Solo was another example of of really beautiful um, digital imagery, and and I th- I think that this is simpatico with it. It's yeah, very beautiful to look at. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, and what a performance. Like, I thought she was great. Great performances yeah. from everyone. I never did yeah. think I wasn't in the world. Yeah. Like, yeah. like I went in to the, the airplane, getting washed on the tile. I yeah. became arrested, and I was not released until the airplane left yeah. Mexico City, I would assume, and flew away while she was going back up on the rooftop to scrub. Yeah, and you know you're thinking to yourself, I wonder when the little boy is going to come up and play war and and deck behind yeah. that that column again and yeah. and go pretend to be dead again on the skylight. You, you know, like mm. you, you just start kind of. I was reliving the memory of the film already in my head. Yeah. Before the credits even rolled. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's one that I am like super eager to revisit. Um, there's uh, there's something that does seem to, to kind of just invite you back to it um, uh, but I would certainly prefer to see it on a big screen again rather than at home um, yeah Netflix needs to just open some Netflix theaters where you can just kind of like plan to go see a streaming title <laughs> I know seriously I know, I, I know it's playing at the Cinerama should be cool. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a great big screen to see it on. That that would be very interesting. Yeah, that's like as big a screen I think as we have in Seattle. I think so, or maybe uh the maybe the IMAX Boeing Theater. That's the one I was thinking of. Could be bigger. It's yeah. possible. They're up there, which is awesome that they're willing to show it, even though it's currently streaming. Right? They yeah. don't care about the windows. Um. Yeah, you had mentioned that you think this is very much just in sync with uh children of men both kind of thematically and uh stylistically yeah kind of um definitely stylistically but the the ideas of the mother and um the you you don't want to say oppressive society necessarily but the idea of violent society around Mm -hmm. the mother and how it affects her because you know the the violent society around the mother and children of men and all those mothers are unable to conceive except for this mm. one mother that Clive Owen is guiding and, and eventually you know Charlie Hunnam on his dirt bike encounters them and, and that's one of my my favorite little nuggets of cinema <laughs> that Charlie Hunnam's in that movie on a dirt bike but um the the comparison I, I think is this idea that all all the world couldn't have this child except for this this one woman and children of men and in Roma, all these children are around, all these people are having children, and this woman who would be perfectly suited to have this child, the best mother that you could imagine for a child, mm. doesn't want it. Mm. Yeah. And you you can really understand why she doesn't want it, but it's still a fascinating thing that she doesn't want it. Mm. And it's heartbreaking. And it, you, you can't, I like, I don't feel like you can be mad at her or judge her. I don't care who you are. You can't tell her that she shouldn't want it. You have to understand that she feels what, how she feels, 
Yeah. And I, I just think that they're very interesting films because they're opposites, but they're so similar mm. about this idea of motherhood and, and child rearing and mm. bearing a child and growing a child in you and what happens at the end when you have your child. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that they're fascinating um, bookends on mm. on this idea of motherhood. Yeah, yeah. In society. Um, yeah, I wasn't really able to, to like contextualize it with his other films until the uh, earthquake scene, which I did love. Like, I guess you could argue, like, that's a coincidence, but to me, like, earthquakes are, like, just coincidental events in their nature they happen unexpectedly um but you know seeing the ceiling crumble on top of that baby's uh case um that's tough uh just um something about the fragility of life or the gift of life um, as sort of an idea running through his movies um in children of men um prisoner of azkaban i haven't seen that one in forever that one's going to be the hardest for me to fit in there. And I haven't seen all of his work, but, I, like, Itu Mamu Tambien is about a, I a girl. I still have to see it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, that's a road movie, also in Mexico, where these two teenage boys are with a slightly older girl who's um, diagnosed with cancer. I know that they cancer. get up to some, some fun in the water they based do. on the cover. <laughs> they do. Um, but she's um, diagnosed with cancer, um, and they're, it's their journey to the beach. Kind of like how Roma ends. Um, Do you know what Ichumama Tambien means? Um, and your mother also? That, I'm, okay. That's my high school Spanish translation. Well, because the title is literally mother. Right, right, right exactly. So it's interesting. Yeah, and I don't think, like, pregnancy is ever specifically involved in that narrative, but sex most definitely is. I There's picked plenty up on of that, that from the cover. Right, exactly. <laughs> and what it means to the to the boys as uh new to the world of sexuality and what it means to this this woman who's um now diagnosed with cancer and sort of preparing to die mm -hmm. um what just the gift of life means to them and what um the fragility of it means to them seems like it just fits how seamlessly. to find bliss it sounds yeah. like yeah um like that does uh just fit perfectly with something like Roma um, in a great way. Love it. It does. Yeah. I, I'd love to have seen that film. <laughs> Do it. I'll rewatch Children of Men if you watch that one. I'm gonna watch that movie. I don't... Yeah. I, I'll, I'll see. I got 15 more days to fit it into the thousand this year. There you go. It's, uh, it's coming stretch. up on me. It's coming up on me. I think I gotta fit in 80 here in two weeks. So... A lot of shorts end is will be watched by Taylor. There you go. Uh, is there any closing statements? I, I think that we might need to hop over to our other titles. We're getting closing statements. I spent too much time on my reservations. I just had to say them. I otherwise love Roma. I think it's beautiful and compassionate and uh, incredibly made. It's one of my favorite films of the year, and I think it'll be one of my favorite films of this decade. Boom. Mic drop. Moving on. Willem Dafoe. The Green Goblin himself. The narrator of Vox Lux. Really? Really. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. There's a narrator. Hmm. Uh, at Eternity's Gate. We're here. We're, We're looking here. at the eternal.
to me. You believe that God gave you the gift of payment to keep you in misery. I never thought about it that way. Maybe God made me a painter for people who aren't born yet. Tell me, brother, am I a good painter? You're not a good painter, Vincent. You're a great painter. I wanted so much to share what I see. Now I just think about my relationship to eternity. Pushing the gates open into this discussion. We have Oscar Isaac. We have Mads Mikkelsen. We have anyone else of note? Not that I know. Willem Dafoe. Those are our three three big guys. Yeah. Yeah. So. who I thought were all great I liked all three of them um, but the the I, I mean there's some beauty in Willem Dafoe's performance absolutely but I totally. think that the kind of the astounding measure of this film is what the camera mm. accomplishes absolutely yeah um, I had heard more about this film uh, related to its central to its lead performance in Willem Dafoe. I hadn't mm-hmm. heard that much about like the visual style, which uh, which was much and I'm still more not exciting. hearing anything about the visual yeah, style. I agree. Way more exciting than uh, I thought we were in for. Um, and uh, I think you described um, some of the earlier moments in the film as sort of like aggressive brush strokes. The first that, half specifically of the film feels like yeah. these beautiful aggressive brush strokes. Like this passion not really like yeah. anger but passion yeah yeah um stabbing and swirling and, and then you felt like that subsided in the mm-hmm. second half once he began to go crazy it, it did seem to subside i don't know if that was conscious by the filmmaker or restrictive based on mm-hmm. money time who knows yeah but it, it yeah. did seem to taper out and in in conjunction it also seemed to um use the uh, kind of undersea effect of soft blur lower portion of the horizontal oh, yeah. frame sharp focus top portion of the horizontal frame yeah yeah one of those touches that like i really i don't know that i have a good thematic explanation for that i think I but have, i love it i think i have oh, a good got... character explanation oh what do you got so i love it either way it, but it, it seems like he begins to go crazy yeah by his own account and by everyone else's account and that that's making the the, the world be seen in two different ways in focus and in a blur mm. and perhaps that's how he's living in the world in in these mm. blurs where he's unaccountable and in the sh- these sharp moments where he's truly mm. interacting with everyone on or, or with people on the super intimate interpersonal level that is um, transformative to him and to the people he's interacting with yeah just a, a partial clarity yeah but that's just like world. something I've stumbled on and like just talking about yeah. right now you know like yeah. i might be totally mm. wrong it's just no i boom, think that makes perfect an sense <laughs> no that makes perfect sense i remember thinking to myself like do i need to rub my eyes is this something funky with my vision but no it is oh, yeah. half the screen that is blurred at the moment no you're just fogging the underside of your glasses that i literally <laughs> thought there was maybe something personally <laughs> off at the moment i, I kind of like, did too i thought that maybe my contacts were blurring i was like just adjusting my lower eyelids yeah (laughs) trying to pop them and i'm like nope this is happening and i like it Mm -hmm. it's great um Um, you've seen the diving bell and the butterfly which i believe you said in your review was a previous film from this filmmaker who i do not know the name of is this a similar film style to that definitely absolutely very uh, subjective in its approach 
Um, that one is, uh, you know, about a character who has a stroke and is mostly, like, bedridden for the majority of the movie. So you're seeing the world kind of from his perspective, um, which is very sort of uh, fractured and blurry and confusing. Um, and it's perfect there. And uh, I think it's it's perfect here. I think it's even just more, like, kind of complex here because we seem to be shifting from van gogh's perspective at times and then this other perspective where we're watching van gogh um but all those like shifts in in what where we seem to be watching things from is really great um it just makes I, the I movie it itself feel very alive to what seems to be expressed in some of these moments of dialogue where he's trying to make um someone see the light mm. on what he's seen he's not trying to make an He's not trying to paint something abstract or something original. He's just trying to show someone how the light looks today. Yeah. In his paintings, which is so fascinating. I Like, I don't know how authentic any of this is. I think that immediately after I came home, I began looking up whether or not I could purchase a um, sketchbook uh, mm. duplication of the sketches that were found in 2016. Yeah, of Van Gogh, and I could not find an authentic one. There, mm. There's one that's completely inauthentic, sold by Amazon. Yeah, um, and a bunch of other distributors that has been, um, y- you know, put the kibosh on by like actual artist uh, or art historians. Yeah, but there, it's just like immediately I was like, I I need more Vincent Van Gogh in my, in my life. Like I need yeah. to be able to look at those sketches, specifically those sketches that we barely see were just so deeply moving to me. Um, yeah. Even though this film was deeply moving, it's those moments where we see his feet, his fingers, or his sketches that really, um, they, they do something to your chest, is all yeah. I can say. Yeah, for, for a movie that seems to be doing so much, it does kind of leave you wanting more because of like paintings you see kind of half of, you see the book on the shelf at the end. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a... And we, totally natural we, we reaction. We barely to, see the sketches. Yeah, yeah. But what we see is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think I heard that Julian Schnabel, the director, is all, is a painter himself. Mm. Which, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't I don't read that much about like director biographies, but I do think there's that's kind of an interesting, um, you know, artistic uh, trajectory. I think about more directors kind of coming like from photography or just you know shorts yeah absolutely um you know how painting itself actually um transfers to filmmaking is kind of an interesting idea and um you know i i won't repeat your own words because you already said it well enough but it does just feel like it is painting with a camera somehow Um, repeat it all you want (laughs) it's because it's it's just that good it'll just make my ego balloon (laughs) yeah that's what i'm here for (laughs) Um, you talked before about how you think Oscar Isaac has had his highs and then has maybe stumbled. What would you think of him here? Um, he wasn't given a rich enough part to stumble. Mm. He did not ascend or do anything great with what he was given, but he he did deliver on what was needed to be delivered. Yeah. Um, he gave a stand. He gave what I would interpret as a standard performance from a Juilliard graduate in the acting mm. class. Good enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd, I'd put it kind of above where he's been performing. 
recently you, you know yeah. his most recent Poe Dameron and, and some of I, I don't even remember the other work that has been so bad I try to block it out but you mm. know he's he's in that Jessica Chastain camp of stumbling right now she's been mm. stumbling since Molly's game you know she was bad enough to cut out of that Xavier Dolan film oh yeah 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 I would agree um I was uh excited to see him here I didn't even realize in advance he was in it um and thought he was uh interesting in the first few scenes and then um didn't get as much out of him as i was kind of hoping to um but thought willem dafoe absolutely delivered um you had sent me a gif beforehand of willem dafoe from i think boondock saints that that might be it yeah where he is spinning around his arms out uh as gunfire is blazing in the background Mm -hmm. which i could not help but think of as we see him spinning around in the fields Mm -hmm. in this one so thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> Glad to bring up the boom. I was imagining him holding Uzis. <laughs> I've never even seen that movie, but I was like, I think I know what that's from. I think we might have another blind spot for uh, right. the spring, folks. There you go. The spring of 2025 is getting quite busy. <laughs> Very busy. Um, yeah. Uh, stylistically as we've talked about loved it um i think just some more narrative oomph i was just maybe for something so character driven hoping to just um get a bit more out of it narratively than i than i think i did um but still very positive on it on the whole um it it felt very much like his performance um not that I, well, this is hard to maybe compare, but it, it did feel like a naturalistic performance from Willem Dafoe, the way that he gave in Pasolini. Um, mm, uh, also a film about an artist where he kind of just becomes the body of this person. He's dressing like him. He's behaving um, as he... I, I He's a very studious actor. I, I would assume that he read biographies, autobiographies about whichever artists he could to get within this space um Mm. and the way that he just kind of dedicates his body when i when i see him pulling himself up this rock face Mm. and he has to drop the canvas and he can only bring the sketchbook um and i think perhaps he brings the stand one canvas and the sketchbook in that particular moment there is something so authentic about the behavior of his body and the desire mapped upon the wrinkles and the creases of his face mm. and those those wrinkles and creases of his hands as he's biting into the to the rock face to climb up this this countryside rock to yeah. get a perspective of the light reflecting on this field and capture it there's just something so authentic about the the immersiveness and the pleasure he brings to his roles Hmm. that I, I think is really touching and what really grounds this film in in such a way that you can suspend your disbelief long enough to let everything happen, to yeah. buy into these time lapses, to this intro that becomes the climax, yeah. to um, the straitjacket. Being yeah. being this thing that he's wholly willing to put up with and happy to to be um, compartmentalized by until someone else tells him that he shouldn't be, yeah. and then he believes them. It it is um, it is a transformative performance that I you know is as good as he was in the Florida Project. Yeah, 
Yeah. Those uh, sound loops where we'd hear his own voice repeated on top of itself just sort of like doubles his performance um, and the whatever confusion he's feeling as he's seeking this inspiration I think becomes quite palpable and, and immersive. Um, I thought that was a, a nice touch like we're talking so much about um, the visual approach but I think like the sound and some of those loops I think was also um, pretty effective mm-hmm. um, in just uh, bringing about sort of that confusion. Um, the I'm sorry's were also just staggering. Yeah. Yeah, I cut off my ear because I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry. Tell him I'm sorry. Yeah. I was yeah. like, Oscar Isaac does not deserve your ear, sir. Yeah. <laughs> did the other guy look too much like Oscar Isaac to you? Yes. Yeah, I yeah. never didn't see Oscar Isaac. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's maybe a, a huge problem with him as a performer. Mm. Um, w- with Brad Pitt, you know, Brad Pitt can play a role, but he kind of... Eh, um, immerses, he he manipulates his body in such a way that you don't really see him, mm. um, and and then, you know, to a greater extent, Rami Malek can disappear in a role. Mm-hmm. I I've never seen Oscar Isaac disappear. Yeah, yeah. I think a role like one in Triple Frontier, where he's not doing something so different from what he just is, is, is probably best for him. Yeah. Um, he played um this this mayor in an HBO series, the limited series, it was like four or five parts. And, and that's maybe, I think as far as his range can go, um, mm. without me just going, this is Oscar Isaac. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think he needs to be accent driven and I think it needs to be East America <laughs> accent. Yeah. Yeah. He's to me, he's kind of the opposite of Willem Dafoe in a way where I feel like I know Willem Dafoe's characters. I still feel like I maybe don't know, who he is because of how much mm. he does disappear. You, you know, uh, there's this film, Dog Eat Dog, Paul Schrader. Mm, yeah. If you watch that film, you'll know exactly who Willem Dafoe is. You think he's playing himself there? Absolutely. He's a murderer. Straight up. Oh. Cocaine, snorting, murderer. Whoa. Stealing from people. Sounds gnarly. Nice low life. Love it. Absolutely who he is. Or Sweet. he's perhaps the um, captain of the undersea army as he's depicted in Aquaman. Remains not the same. goblin. I don't think he's the goblin because James Franco's the goblin, as far as I remember. Oh yeah, I guess he is. What does he do? They in killed Willem Dafoe. He uh, was the original Green Goblin, and then he's murdered, and then James yeah. Franco becomes the Green Goblin. Yeah, there it is. Diverse career. Diverse career. Quite yeah. the quite the diverse career. Seamless from from indie to blockbusters. Uh, what's that other one that he did in the early '90s? Mississippi Burning. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that one. That's a good one. Always been intrigued. That's on my watch list. Um, it's special um, the, the major thing that I would draw is how this um, it, which I'm more interested in now that you say that what's the director's name again? Julian Schnabel Julian Schnabel is a painter Yeah. and that a painter turned director is depicting the story in a way that equates Vincent with his brother Theo because without Theo there is no Vincent's work and how important it is to have a patron of someone's work, regardless of how little money that patron has to facilitate the work, that that he demonstrates the work is important, makes the time to go out of his way to go see him when he has to, and loves him and facilitates that work as best he, as he can. Yeah. I think that's a very interesting interpretation that is super important to 
the story of Vincent. Yeah. As as a um, as someone who's appreciated moving forward. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't remember who that actor was who played his brother. He looked familiar to me, but he, um, he I did to me he as was... well. He's he's a great supporting actor that totally. we've seen in numerous yeah. films that we don't know the name of. I agree. Yeah, he did feel like a strong kind of He will be Bill Camp in twenty years. <laughs> yeah, nice. That is well said. <laughs> yeah. Um, good movie. Recently, 20th Century Fox had two very heavy ideas. First, make a film called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Second, get Russ Meyer to write, produce, and direct it. You'll meet three girls, young, beautiful, talented. A tight trio that was the heart and soul of a rock group. Life was sweet, man, but not enough. The whole world was out there just waiting. And the beat inside pushed them to where it's happening. Hollywood, USA. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Screenplay. By Roger Ebert. Directed by Russ Myers. Mm-hmm. I don't Produced think I, by Russ Myers. I don't think I could tell you the name of any of these actors or actresses off the top of my head. Do you remember? Uh, no, it's a 20th Century Fox production. And uh, about uh, five-sixths of the way into the movie, the 20th Century Fox sound with the horns goes off. Uh, that was a nice touch. Um, otherwise... I just know how to talk about this movie. I don't know any details. Just dive right and in. And that's the only reason I watched it, is it's a Roger Ebert screenplay, and um, I've heard good things, and I think mm. that the good things were accurate. I would liken mm. this to that zombie movie we watched that I did not respond well to that you did. The um, zombie one? Yeah. Night of the Living Dead? Yes. Ah. I would liken it to Night of the oh, Living Dead and its campiness and absurdity. Mm. And overacting, but like mm. also hilarity. Yeah. But I, I do think Roger Ebert's screenplay speaks of something interesting. He, in moments, had this sort of a, a patter going that I could only liken to sort of an Aaron Sorkin patter, mm. where the dialogue isn't real. It's not how real people talk. Mm. But if they would have talked like the whole time within the film, mm. it would have been understandable and it would have been the way that this film talks. Yeah. Which is yeah. just interesting to note. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't rate this one super highly, but... No, you it, rated it terribly. Correct. But it was it was more just that it was uneven. Like, there were things that I actually really did like, and there were things, like, I really didn't like. The intro um, and the outro you loved, I imagine? I, I think I liked the final 30 minutes, actually, quite a bit, or 20 minutes, kind of from that, from the beginning of the uh, drug trip until the conclusion, essentially. Um, up until then, it was actually just not as campy as I was expecting. I think I was mm. expecting that kind of uh, campy sensibility that we get at the end from start to finish. Um, I was. This is perhaps the mm. earliest LGBTQ film I've mm. ever seen. Oh yeah, yeah, that could be for me as well. Actually, uh, you mean just like really state wise? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How how early it was released and how many different demographics are represented within the film. Yeah, this is like like early 70s, I guess, 1970 or late 60s, something like that. It feels 60s. I think it's in 1974, way. 1976. Maybe okay. it's 1975, right? Maybe it's right in between. I, yeah. I think it's 70s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think when the extravagance levels really go off the charts in the final 30 minutes, I was on board. 
Um, I, I did find it surprisingly dull, kind of getting up into up until that point. Um, I I couldn't get on board with the editing. Um, I don't know that editing is one of those things for me that can be like so bad it's good. I, I the cuts I I the, those just didn't quite work for me. Which cuts? Um, uh, just a lot of them. They just they like you didn't like the layering too... at the end. You didn't like the the credits over the image. I, I, to me, some of them felt nonsensical, just from one person to another, in how it was layered with the sound. I, I don't know that this was oh, very like the seamless. Party? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, where they're cutting back, okay, but yeah. not like when they're layering um, people on people, kind of towards the end there. That was fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's certainly an uneven movie. Where like, I, I think about twenty minutes into the movie, I was like, "This is an amazing five star movie." Oh. And then 40 minutes later, I was like, this is not as good of a movie. <laughs> and then Lost by the end of bit. it, I was like, we're back. We're back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted the level of artifice that we got towards the end um, more consistently, I guess. Mm-hmm. But there were but there were some threads that I thought were really hilarious. Um, I think my personal favorite was the... Highway Boxer? Yes. Great guess. That's incredible. Um, and the the gal from the band who starts an affair or starts dating the lawyer, mm-hmm. and that turns into like this the suburban. What what you call it? I, the guy, the girl that dates the jungle boy. The girl that dates. Remember Does she jungle, date jungle boy? boy? Jungle boy is the guy in the like speedo kind of thing, right? Jungle boy is the guy at the end that's attacked by Superwoman. Right. Maybe we are thinking about different people. I'm thinking about the African-American gal in the band mm-hmm. who starts dating the lawyer. Yeah. Uh, who was like the Oh, no, uh, I thought you were talking about someone else now. Okay. I, I thought you went from talking about her to talking about the main girl who's going after the inheritance. Oh, And how God. she goes after that old guy for a little bit at the bar. And then she gets with the jungle boy. This is and hard originally, to talk about. Originally, she's with the, uh, the trans uh, person who is the superwoman at the end right yeah 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 yeah. not that thread many of these people we could describe using similar words but i was thinking of the african-american gal in the band who starts dating the lawyer Lawyer, yes and then cheats on him with With the the beefcake guy yeah Yeah. um that felt like kind of it was in it like it was in its own movie this suburban melodrama when they're in that little roundabout cul-de-sac hilarious that was was so good um that boxer felt like he wandered in from the deuce to me. He yeah. felt like one of those pimps. He could be Larry to this me. This whole movie felt like it was the deuce out in L.A. Yeah, yeah, with totally. The band. Uh, I thought that was a hilarious thread that was kind of doing its own thing. Um, the main gal in the band and the, the the bit with her trying to get the inheritance. I couldn't. I don't know. I, I didn't. I just didn't get quite as much from that. I wanted uh, something. I didn't either. Campier. It was the. Uh, it's the meat and the bones of of what's happening, so that the the writer can find what's happening around it. You know, you need yeah. something nice and stable so that you can go explore these other characters and find stuff. I agree. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. I mean, the the final thirty minutes. I mean, that is, I think, sort of what I look for in a great campy movie um tarantino-esque yeah um it it, the artifice is high it's it's super exaggerated um you know you get those kind of 
queer elements, the androgyny, um, you know, that's something we really haven't talked about at all on the show that, like, I'm not really, I don't feel, like, super well-versed in, but I do know that, like, just the the kind of, uh, the, the, the artifice of it I find very satisfying in a way. Um, the, the artifice of what? Of the, is his name Z-Woman or Z-Man? Z-Man. Cutting off the guy's head, for example, right? I mean, I don't, I think this is the opposite of realism to me. Yeah. Right? Um, I would describe it's that It's not as, even surreal. It's it's yeah. somewhere between surreal and, and, and hyper-realism. You know, it's, yeah. it's yeah. in this place that, um, what's his name? Drive Guy lives. Who? The what guy? Nicholas Vending Refn. Oh, it, gotcha, It's kind gotcha. of in that place that Nicholas lives, right? That Refn lives. I would agree. Um, that with a hyper stylized violence, but also like all these weird uh, sub stories going on. But it's also playing into that camp B movie genre that's happening in the 60s and 70s. Um, y- you know, I think at this point in time, they're still doing um, almost exclusively the, the B movies for African Americans. Like you, oh, yeah, either the... your Pam Greer movies, or I, I don't remember the actor who was doing the other ones, but you, you either get one or the other, and they're always yeah. like fight the system movies, and they always have pistols and you, you know fast cars, and um, so it, it's coming out of something that that I think is interesting, and I think that um, considering his later life, this is just a it's a fascinating film to think about that Roger Ebert wrote. I know. I'm very happy that I, I've seen it and that I can kind of understand where he comes at his perspectives from. Yeah. I didn't I've, expect it. There's a, a couple books I've read on like 60s and 70s cinema where they kind of like touched on this movie as an aside, probably mostly because it was written by Ebert, but like it was never the main topic of conversation so i never really knew that much about it but it's always kind of been in the back of my mind i'm like what is that movie all it's about? always been in the back of my mind too yeah. <laughs> i'm that, thrilled to watch, it. to watch it yeah um is it, it is it's its own beast but i don't really remember like what compelled him to write this particular story like i have no context for that i would imagine he was an aspiring writer at the time had not become a critic and was still exploring the waters of becoming creative or becoming critical is that right it it was all it was pre-criticism days i I don't think it was pre-criticism but i think it was before he became noted for his criticism yeah you know before he had a laid out career you know there's I think that in many people's careers, there's moments where you're going to go one way or the other, and this is just him exploring one way. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was trying to reread this essay I read back in like uh, a film class from Susan Sontag, and it was just called Notes on Camp. And it's just like, it's not even really an essay, it's like 50 bullet points on what the camp sensibility she how she describes it and i was trying to just like pull the ones that i thought were is this uh, interesting Tasha robinson's favorite piece of writing perhaps i don't, I don't think i've camp <laughs> oh does she mm-hmm. she but i thought she gave this like a one and a half but some people yeah. rate these ones and they're like and i love it right yeah ratings are weird for, for yeah camp. this, this is kind of like the um, room where it's like i i gave it a, a half a star with a heart you know yeah um one's like Camp is the attempt to do something extraordinary, but extraordinary in the sense often of being special or glamorous. 
it's the vision of a world in terms of style, but a particular kind of style. It's the love of the exaggerated, the quote-unquote off, the of things being what they are not. When something is just bad rather than camp, it's often because it's mediocre in its ambition. The artist hasn't attempted to do anything really outlandish. Quote, it's too much, it's too fantastic, it's not to be believed are standard phrases of camp enthusiasm. And I think for maybe on the last one, uh, too much of like the first half of the movie didn't really lead me to say like this is so outlandish. I absolutely said that about the, f the finale. Um, maybe that was partly just my expectations. I thought I this was like kind of... I felt like the middle was more flat. Because mm. this is an hour 50, and I think maybe the first 20, 25 minutes is when we're getting this lead-in to her experience in L.A. Mm. in that first show for Z-Man. Mm. Yeah. Which is, like, I felt like all that was pretty goddamn outlandish. And yeah. then in the yeah. middle there, until we get to our Nazi end, it's kind of like, eh. Yeah. You know, it's the producer and the money and... The, yeah. And then we have this moment with the uh, the African-American gal and her two lovers. And, yeah, you, you yeah. Know, um, but it's not until that last 20 that we get back to it. So I, I almost feel like it's bookended, mm. like maybe 2020. Yeah. And then that middle 110 is kind of soft. Yeah. Yeah. I think it might have turned for me when the manager tries to kill himself by jumping off the rafters mm -hmm. at the show. Um, we don't even know if he tried to kill himself. <laughs> right. But like the fake blood there, the extravagant, oh. keep rolling. It's that's all way over the top uh -huh. um that that had my attention no doubt um so yeah i don't know i mean rating these kinds of movies i don't know that i have really figured out how to do that um but it had its moments of i, th I think enjoyment. you gotta rate off of your overall experience if yeah. your overall experience was negative you gotta go but mine was overall positive but also like super curious with some of these screenplay flourishes and stylisms and what's yeah. happening with you know gender and and the gender interplay and the sexual interplay and and the yeah. violence and and the pent-up anger and the systemic thing like it's just it's got so much weirdness and and, and campiness to it that i just yeah. uh, i was smiling and, and enthusiastic throughout yeah i mean you could we could do an episode sometime on camp and like the John Waters movies. I, 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 I've seen, I've seen one John Waters movie, but I've never seen like uh pink flamingos. Have you seen that never one? Seen it. Um, I do, I, I do think camp might like warrant its own discussion at some point because um, certainly maybe, one maybe where we'll I feel do like that with the beach bum. Oh yeah. That could be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do, I do feel like it's one that I probably underappreciate just because of like my lack of exposure to it. Um, I, I don't know that I know how to appreciate it properly. Mm, mm, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I do think the 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 way it kind of takes down, you know, heteronormative ideas and replaces that kind of with 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 a queer sensibility is just not something like I really know how to say anything more about than what I just said. <laughs> What you're saying is more than I know how to say, so we might be the That's wrong all podcast for, for non-heteronormative <laughs> ideas. But I find it fascinating. Um, yeah, so. it's definitely something I, I'm interested in, in viewing more of 
it, that would be a fun a fun episode to do on camp. Yeah. Um, more specifically, do you think that um, the music was good? Um, or was not it f- really my taste? No, nah. but it's it's kind of fun. I thought it was you? pretty far out, man. Yeah, liked yeah, it. I, I, I thought it was fun. <laughs> I thought that the exaggerated. Uh, I, I thought that the way that the the effort from the actress being out of balance completely with the audio coming in through the speakers mm. was just this nice camp touch. You, yeah, you know, like that. There's something to be said for for absurdism in, totally. in these camp films, and I think that it yeah. had the right level of absurdity, mm. but still balancing itself back to realism and and being worried about. Uh, which girl's pregnant which girl likes who and, and why and if she's gonna get yep. the money and and now she wants half the money <laughs> you yeah it's just this weird balance where i was kind of always uh off my balance trying Definitely. to catch up with the movie and that's kind of the appeal is that feeling of being off balance like it's that's what makes it interesting right is the just the, it not feeling so familiar yeah um and lots of it is unfamiliar lots um the ending where z-man beheads jungle boy um who is tied up and then he proceeds to chase the nazi with a sword while um our gal who was pregnant um runs away it, it's this it's just a fantastic ending moment i was thinking de palma honestly oh interesting i could see that yeah and sort of the uh yeah that freewheeling go for broke kind of sensibility Mm -hmm. definitely there it almost felt like a movie in a movie yeah because that sensibility is there yeah i would agree especially with how it's bookended right Mm -hmm. there's there's sort of suspense built into it i wouldn't call this a suspense movie and yet it kind of somehow pulled that off yeah um because it did kind of create some expectations um yeah i would watch this again but i might literally just watch the finale yeah that was the intro in the finale yeah yeah (laughs) or just the part with uh the the guy who i who felt like he was out of the deuce I, i thought that was a fun plot thread yeah um but uh interesting movie interesting movie yeah uh what do you think about the narration choice <laughs> at the very end no just the narrator throughout oh oh yeah he he has his you know like conclusion at the end where he talks yeah. for a good bit um i i didn't hate it to me that was a perfectly campy choice i agree yeah i, I think that the narrator in camp is is an okay thing whereas yeah. in not high art but just like in non-camp sorts of genres i almost Mm. always hate a narrator except for when we're talking about like these things that are extra camp that that are like so camp they become otherworldly something like Mm. the princess bride where where the narrator becomes like this extra storytelling um absurdism that that just portends to to greatness yeah yeah I, i thought it was a nice touch in this one I agree. Uh, I've some people I've seen when I was just flipping through reviews, people saying like, "What an obviously bad choice!" I'm like, "It's deliberately obvious." Like to me, it feels so obvious that it's meant to be obvious. Yeah, right? I, I think that those are people <laughs> critiquing from 2018, 2016, 2017. Not yeah. like 
1970. Yeah, I would agree. <laughs> when every crime movie comes in with a leader from from the narration, when every trailer has a narrator. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I thought the porn star was kind of funny, um, who was trying to seduce the manager. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was uh, satisfyingly extravagant and uh determined yes, <laughs> i and, kept expecting her to give up and i'm like oh my gosh she's still trying to do this yeah and then she uh leaves in the beach and go gets another boy on the stairs yeah <laughs> uh so it's funny i do think it's funny i i, I think it's a good movie that every person interested in film criticism and roger ebert should look up it's not mandatory viewing by any means but yeah i'm glad we got to it totally good pick uh your choice so good pick it was my choice yeah uh you chose two lanthimos i chose one ebert here we are lanthimos was certainly the better by score the most important thing is we got to get together and drink some beer we did we did next week next week we will be discussing shoplifters as well as the latest clint eastwood movie the mule in addition to We'll either be doing Vox Lux, Rafifi, or movies we haven't figured out what we're going to watch yet there. But we'll definitely be doing Shoplifters in the Mule. Working towards a crime-related episode. Yeah. So, there you go. And that's it, folks. Until next time. Run! Go! Get to the chopper! We have to go. I'm coming with you. That was brilliant.